Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. What's good, Internet? Welcome to another edition of Waypoint Article Reads. Uh, today, we are doing something that I'm very excited about because I love giant robots. You, you know that about me already. Rob Zachney is going to read for us uh, his review of Battletech, which is titled, Battletech Revives the Classic Mech Franchise in All Its Grueling Glory. Grueling glory. Grueling glory. It's a good phrase. Uh, so he's going to do that read, and then uh, right afterwards, we're going to have a pretty long chat uh, about the game and about his review. Um, this is this is kind of a gift, I would say, to the rest of the Waypoint community, the rest of the Waypoint staff, in that Rob and I aren't just going to take over an entire other podcast episode and just talk about uh, Battletech for the entire time. Um, instead, we're going to keep our keep our thoughts here. Uh, and I will say really quick, two things. One, uh, three things, I guess. One, uh, we have a, uh, a couple of other things in the feed that are, that are worth looking for. Um, I'm not 100% sure on what the release schedule is yet, so I just want to, I just want to say what they all are. And so you know that they're either in the feed already or you can look forward to them in the next couple of days. They are an interview with John Everest, who is the composer on Battletech. Um, we, uh, I had a really great chat with him, uh, about his process and about how he got into composing for games and, uh, into, into Battletech and started working with harebrained, uh, schemes. And, and he also did, uh, the soundtrack for, uh, uh, Shadowrun Hong Kong, which is really great. Talked all about that stuff. We also have a video up on youtube.com slash waypoint vice of, uh, a behind the scenes kind of, uh, uh, mini video, mini doc, uh, that, that, that we got exclusively from Hairbrained, um, about the production of the, the soundtrack. Um, so go check that out. And then we also did a review read of Frostpunk. Uh, Rob wrote a great review for Frostpunk, and we, we sat down to talk about that game and then immediately just started talking about family history and uh, <laughs> growing up in, in, in areas that, that you can't quite seem to escape. You know, classic, uh, classic Rob and Austin stuff. We did talk about the game also, but we spent a lot of time talking about the politics of labor and steel mills and coal mines. So look forward to that, uh, or go listen to that already, or if you already did, hey, thanks. Uh, all right, I'll let Rob take it away with his review of Battletech right now. The more I play Battletech, the more violent it gets. And the more violent it gets, the more I love it. I could try to dress that sentiment up. Talk about the lumbering grace of these giant humanoid machines, the way harebrained schemes has imbued them with life and weight via terrific art, animation, and sound. Or the satisfying fussiness of managing them in combat, balancing the different weapon systems in their respective sweet spots. There's the tactical dance you perform as you jockey for position to keep your units at optimal ranges while keeping your opponents out of place and on the back foot. 
There are a lot of great things about Battletech that I can appreciate and admire. But those are justifications for an emotional reaction, not the reaction itself. I'm talking about love here. And what I love about Battletech is that it's a game that you feel in your gut. Where you help topple a totalitarian regime by leaving a trail of broken and twisted mechs, as well as their dead pilots, littered across the stars. And they don't go down easily, like playing pieces that you take off the board after a good move. They walk through showers of missile fire, shudder under the weight of a cannon shot, get slashed to pieces by massive laser beams, and finally pummeled into the ground by other mechs' massive metallic arms. This is an XCOM, where the point is to avoid getting hit while you surgically dismantle enemy squads piecemeal. This is war. Or at least it's war as envisioned by Harebrained Schemes founder Jordan Wiseman 30-some years ago, when he and his legendary tabletop gaming company, FASA, first released the Battletech board game. It's a vision fleshed out across countless novelizations, massive source books and technical manuals, a pen and paper RPG, a dubious children's cartoon, and several classic video games made with Activision and then Microsoft. The Battletech universe is built around medieval and renaissance politics played out across the galaxy, with massive piloted battle mechs taking the place of the mounted knight. Everything within this sprawling franchise that dominated mid-1990s games culture took its cues from that board game. Yet none of its video game adaptations could quite channel the bruising, kinetic combat depicted across pages of dice roll tables to hit modifiers, worn stat sheets, and all the other detritus of 1970s and 80s wargame design. Because while the popular Mech Warrior, Mech Assault, and Mech Commander games all focused on ranged robotic combat, Battletech, in both its fiction and within the design of the board game itself, is as much about hand-to-hand mecha combat as futuristic lasers and autocannons. In novelizations and at the war table, a good mech warrior knows when the time has come to commit everything they've got to knocking someone the fuck out, walking through point-blank weapons fire and absorbing whatever punishment their opposition can dish out just so that they can smash an enormous metal limb into another mech and leave it shattered on the ground. No game ever really captured this aspect of Battletech that was so intrinsic to the board game and the universe it created. At least until now. With this new adaptation, Harebrained Schemes have made a game that captures both the lurid imaginary spectacle of mech combat and its tactical suspense. Crucially, however, they've left most, though not all, of the board game's daunting granularity and detail in the past. Battletech takes dozens of different mech types and weapons, several different types of movement and attack, plus the crucial role of skilled pilots within those mechs, and puts them all inside a fast-paced tactics game. It feels like the Battletech board game in all the right ways, But battles unfold in less than an hour, rather than the three to four hour sessions the board game demanded. You also don't need to keep a calculator and notepad next to you to play. While Battletech is obviously deeply informed by the lore of a 30-year-old franchise in this detailed setting, Hairbrain doesn't expect or require anyone be familiar with that history to enjoy this game. After a short intro sequence and somewhat longer series of tutorial missions, the situation is that you're a leader of a mercenary company on the fringes of colonized space, and nursing a pretty severe grudge against a newly installed authoritarian regime that deposed the former queen in a coup and murdered your mentor in the process. There are two things you need to do. Keep your unit of freelance mech warriors paid and equipped by taking combat missions for hire, and then go fuck up those fascists. So you and your band roam planet to planet, sending squads, called lances in the game's terminology, out to do battle on behalf of different clients. This isn't just window dressing. You're running a business as much as you are aiding a rebel army against an authoritarian regime, so the goal isn't just to win these bloody battles, but to win them cleanly enough that you're not spending all your money replacing broken equipment and all your time waiting for wounded soldiers to return from months-long convalescence. 
Battletech demands that you internalize your role as both lance leader and mercenary bookkeeper. And it's only once you understand both modes of play that the game's most obvious thematic and mechanical throughline becomes apparent. Everything in Battletech comes down to attrition. In other tactics games, a perfect run might mean never letting your loyal soldiers take damage. That's impossible here. Everyone is going to get hit. If you're trying to avoid getting hit, then you're not doing the damage you need to win and will eventually get crushed. As each mech gets hit, armor peels away and leaves underlying systems vulnerable. Weapons get knocked out, ammunition magazines explode, pilots are wounded. Mechs that take enough punishment get knocked down, leaving them completely vulnerable until they get back on their feet. Limbs get snapped off, taking whatever they carried with them. This is going to happen to you. It's going to happen to the people you're fighting. The point is to make sure your side is the one left standing at the end of the battle, and that your wallet is left fat enough after the fact that repairs won't leave you bankrupt. Every turn is about trying to find the balance between dishing out punishment and taking it, and each fight exerts its own gravity as mechs are pulled toward each other to bring more weapons to bear. How do you distribute your fire among enemy targets? Do you try for a kill shot on one mech right now, at reduced odds, or do you continue to settle for higher percentage shots distributed across more targets? Maybe this is the moment to forget about guns entirely and get in someone's face with a giant metal fist. In a self-contained battle, these choices would be challenging enough. But they are made even more dense with decision-making once you figure in the mercenary management layer, too. It's not only a choice between a low-chance kill shot or more evenly spread out multi-target fire. It's also a choice between pursuing the reliable evisceration of an enemy mech and fishing for a lucky headshot that might leave the opposition's strongest mech mostly intact and ready to be salvaged. A decision to advance your fastest mech around the flank alone could mean ending the mission with zero losses, or it could get your ace scout killed. On each mission, you're limited to just four different pilots or four different mechs. In general, this means you're bringing out your biggest, baddest war machines whenever they're fit to deploy. In fact, one of my beefs with Battletech is that after the earliest stages of the game, it feels like there's effectively no role in the battlefield for light mechs. They are harder to hit as their speed gives them more evasion points that lower enemies' chances of hitting, though each time they take fire, they lose an evasion point, which means you can reduce that evasive advantage. But the math is still against them. As slippery as they are, a single hard hit can swat them to the ground or kill the pilot. As the campaign unfolds, you'll probably discover you have some preferred tactics you like to use, and will increasingly tune your forces to let you wage war the way you prefer. Outside of the lightest mechs, there's a lot of variety in mech designs, the ways they are optimized to fight, and how they will interact with your individual pilots. Meanwhile, pilots develop along four attributes, gunnery, piloting, guts, and tactics. Each track provides bonuses and special abilities, though mech warriors are limited to just two special abilities. It's a slightly underwhelming system at first, especially if you've been spoiled by the customizability and variety of your soldiers in XCOM 2, for instance. But I found myself warming to it, since, after all, it is the mech and the pilot that is your combat unit. Depending on who's in the cockpit, the same mech might be a mobile gun platform, if the pilot is heavy on gunnery points, or a heavyweight brawler, if heavy on piloting points. Likewise, the same mech warrior might be a sniper assassin in one mech and a fast-moving skirmisher harasser in another. The system is more flexible than it appears. It's just that its discrete parts can seem a bit limited when you look at them outside of their context in the battles. On the other hand, I'm far less enamored of the morale system, which gives your characters special abilities that consume team morale. They can be very useful. One basically lets you take a knee and then go early on the next turn, skipping ahead in the order of play, but they feel divorced from morale both as a concept and as a mechanical expression of your mech warrior's confidence and spirits. 
Morale is a special system that exists atop both the management and tactical layers, but its effects generally feel anything but. However, the morale system does tie into the other half of Battletech, the mercenary company management sim. In between missions, you can wander your dropship chatting up your crew of buccaneering freelancers. They're an enjoyable team, featuring a disillusioned ex-soldier who services your mechs, a battle-scarred hotshot pilot, and a nerdy engineer historian who finds herself embarked on the adventure of a lifetime. Occasionally, you'll get little events that flesh out life aboard ship. One of your pilots starts dismantling pieces of your spaceship to make herself more comfortable, and you either need to tell her to knock it off, or let it slide and eat the cost of the damages. Or your engineer gets frustrated with your nosy and demanding mech warriors, and you can either tell them to leave him alone, or insist they serve as well-meaning, incompetent apprentices. Each action usually has some effect on your finances or your team's morale, but mostly they give a taste of life as a wandering mercenary company. Management also features some of the most daunting parts of Battletech, mech customization and repair. While every new mech comes in a standard configuration, eventually you'll have to dig into the refitting and customization screen. While scuffs to your armor can be repaired with a single click of a button and a small fee, to fix heavily damaged mechs, or to upgrade operational ones with the loot you scavenge from the battlefields, you'll need to dive into the customization interface. And this is where I found myself leaning heavily on over a decade's worth of arcane knowledge about battle mechs. Every time a portion of a mech chassis is destroyed, or individual components are critically damaged, you have to go and order them to be refitted. So, if a mech's left arm, and the large laser it carried there, is destroyed, you first have to order the limb replaced, and then you have to dig around in your inventory and hope that you have the correct replacement component to fit on the new arm. You probably do, but you still have to click and drag the component from your inventory onto the limb. It's a bit fussy, but not so bad. The worst part is probably the inventory interface, which, even at its best, still feels like rummaging through a tool drawer in a garage. Where things could get harrowing if you're not ready to love Battletech on its own nerdy, detail-obsessed terms is mech customization. See, eventually, you're either not going to have the right component to fix a mech, or, more likely, you're going to have an awesome piece of weaponry that presently doesn't fit any of your standard loadouts. So you decide to make it fit. And just like that, you are in the guts of the Battletech system, in ways that will have critical impacts on the tactical combat. Every mech has a maximum tonnage, and every component adds weight. Bigger weapons add more weight. They also tend to generate more heat, which is the biggest limitation on what your mech can do in combat. As a mech overheats, it begins taking internal damage, so you can't run too hot for too long, or you'll basically boil your mech to death from the inside. So you have to decide how to balance three factors. Firepower, heat dissipation, and armor. In effect, you can only have two. A mech that can just stand in combat and blaze away turn after turn is either a glass cannon, or it's probably carrying a light enough armament that is not generating too much heat, nor doing too much damage. The mech lab is where you make these choices, tweaking configurations until you've hit your max tonnage. However, this screen is almost like you're playing Mech Manager 3026, tweaking your lineup before you send your mechs down to the pitch to put theory into practice. If that sounds awesome to you, and it does to me having internalized all of this logic in high school, then Battletech's management layer is just another place where it brings the classic tabletop game back to life and gives you more options you can employ in battle. But I can also easily imagine this being off-putting to people who are unfamiliar with most of the mechanics and terminology of this universe, especially since the game's interface fails to offer up some important, bottom-line information about your mech's capabilities. All of these components cost money, and some rare, high-quality versions of equipment provide bonuses in combat. 
As you collect gear and customize your mech company around your preferred loadouts and tactics, you'll start going into battle with expensive, hard-to-replace warriors and war machines that are the perfect reflection of who you are as a commander, which makes it even harder when the time comes to commit them to the kind of desperation plays you need to turn around a battle. It also makes Battletech incredibly dramatic at those moments, like when a customized 55-ton Shadowhawk out of long-range missile ammunition and watching its squadmates get shredded by a 60-ton quickdraw takes to the skies in a desperate death-from-above attack to try and even the odds. Death-from-above is an attack where a jump-capable mech lands on top of an adversary, trashing its own legs but inflicting an arsenal's worth of damage on its opponent. It's the kind of all-in sacrificial gamble that gets at the heart of why Battletech succeeds as a tactics game, and how the violence of these engagements is far more than just satisfying spectacle. For all my quibbles with this game, the ways I wish it were just a bit more like XCOM 2 or Jagged Alliance 2, it gets this dynamic right. At their best, these battles start to feel like prize fights, as exhausted combatants circle toward each other, weighed down by the history of old scars and the knowledge that the bill collectors will come knocking, win or lose. Every new hit means more time and money spent on repairs. Every lost component is something new to be replaced. Every wound means additional weeks in the hospital for your pilot. Again, it's all about attrition. Even if you win, you'll still lose. But at least you'll be alive. Of course, you don't always win. Sometimes it feels like maybe you can't. On one contract, I was supposed to knock out a squad of light mechs. But no sooner did I start skirmishing with them than a squad of heavy reinforcements showed up behind them, each as large as my biggest mech. I did the math and evacuated, foregoing the pay and taking a hit to my professional reputation in order to avoid getting slaughtered. On another mission, I was supposed to defend a base from a group of marauders, only there were far more than I expected, and they were attacking from every side. But the moment all my mechs left to attack what we thought was the main group, I realized I'd been lured away and had to send my lightest mechs on a Hail Mary attempt to break up the enemy surprise attack. It was one of the most desperate battles I fought in the game, and it wasn't even a story mission. I've put over 20 hours into Battletech and still haven't finished the main campaign, and I'm still being surprised by things that happened to me on missions and in battles. But most of all, I'm continually surprised by how much I am living and dying with each missile strike, with each laser blast, with each mighty punch. It's gruesome and grueling in a way that reflects the grim, tactical equations underlying the game and its universe. The other day, one of my best pilots, who went by the callsign Sam Knight and who spoke over the radio in a bright, no-nonsense Irish accent, was at the helm of the old family blackjack that your character receives at the start of the game. My character had moved on to a more customized mech, but the blackjack was still a good skirmisher in Sam Knight's capable hands, gnawing away at targets from the fringes of the battle and maneuvering to focus on their weak points. But as my best mech ace, Behemoth, got into trouble that was way, way over her head, I realized I was about to lose her, the centurion she was piloting, and probably the entire battle, all in the space of a turn. So I sent Sam Knight into the middle of a heavyweight brawl that was way, way above her weight class. She jumped in front of an enemy hunchback and unloaded on it with every weapon she had at point-blank range. The shots blew through its damaged armor and caused autocannon ammunition to shatter the enemy mech's insides and ripped off one of its arms. The move saved Behemoth from destruction and probably won us the whole battle, and the next turn, my pilot, my character, stepped forward in his sniper loadout vindicator and put a shot through that hunchback's cockpit windshield. But Sam Knight didn't see that. She died when that wounded giant slammed its remaining arm against the head of her mech. 
the blackjack slumped to the ground, a marionette whose strings had been cut. It was too late for Sam Knight, but she'd bought us the heartbeat we needed to win the fight. It may not have felt like a win, but it did to the client, and on that day, they were paying well enough to make it worth the cost of going the distance. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Okay, we are back. <clears throat> Rob, nice nice job reading that. Um, I like this game a whole bunch. <laughs> um, I think the last few nights have been me sending you little mini stories of what's happening to me in my game. Um, and it's so rare that a game catches me like that. Um, have you had a, a pretty similar experience? Like, I, Obviously, we got some deep talk about the ways in which that game does violence and attrition really well. But does it have its claws into you? Yeah, it does. And I'm actually almost relieved it does because the first impression I had of it when I started playing the, the release version uh, was that it seemed fine. Like, right. But I guess on some level I was like, okay, this is – like I don't know what quite I was imagining. I think maybe I was doing a lot of one-to-one comparisons with like XCOM 2 because uh, sure. we've been playing so much of that. And so – I sort of fell into this trap of like, well, I expect these features and these features and these trade-offs and these decision these decision points. Uh, and Battletech doesn't have a lot of that stuff. Um, and that sort of obscured for me at first what it does have. Uh, but the more I played it, the more I started to like it, which is kind of a rare thing for me. Like a lot of games, the more I play them, the more I start to see the seams. Yes, like 100%. Battletech feels more put together as I play it. It feels more considered. Um, and yeah, I'm there's like a lot of, of there's a lot of decisions that there's a lot of questions I thought were answered in terms of its design uh, within the first few hours. And as I'm now, I'm probably breaching twenty hours now, twenty five somewhere in there. Um, I, I'm starting to see like, oh, actually, I was wrong about this. Like, uh, Light Max is a really good one, right? Like, I think you and I in our first. 12 hours with the game both kind of left it saying like well light mechs really have a place in the early game um and then they kind of fall apart as you start going up against heavier and heavier mechs maybe the jenner is good i think we both kind of agreed like maybe the jenner still has a place um but and i'm still not sure that i know how to use them right but i've seen them be used against me in a way even in small scale skirmishes that makes me go like okay there is something here. I just need to crack it. I just need to put my head you know, my head into it and figure out how I can use these little 20-ton mechs up against these 60-ton 60, 60 behemoths um, and and figure out how to make it make it work. Um, and that's like the opposite of what normally happens for me in tactics games, which is the, the strategy that I start with 
um, you know, it becomes more complex. And then I, I leave behind the kind of basic stuff, right? Like I, we, you, there's a linear path in terms of, in terms of progression, even in something like XCOM where it's like, well, no, the, the little guns that you leave behind, they're all, they're little guns. I don't need the starter shotgun once I have the magnetic shotgun, once I have the blue screen shotgun or whatever the, the XCOM 2 equivalent, you know, whatever the XCOM equivalents are, right? In this, I think the Jenner is going to continue to be a pretty useful mech for me for a long time. And if I can figure out how to get the fire starter, which is a little mech that has like flamethrowers on it that overheat other mechs. If I can get that one working for me, then like maybe that'll open up some new possibilities. Um, and, and that's feels so good to say like, Oh, I'm 25 hours in 26 hours in and looking at my old tools, I can see new use cases. Yeah, I'm I'm still not sure that lights have a place for me, but one thing that I did enjoy, uh, certainly to see the dynamic employed against me, uh, because while you only have four max permission, oh, yeah. uh, your enemies can have quite a few more, uh, which is where things can get pretty damn dicey. Yeah. Because um, sometimes you will see like a half dozen mechs over the course of a battle. Uh, and I had one battle that really kind of uh, left me a bit shaken, which was... Um, I got zerged by a bunch of locusts, yeah. uh, which are very light max that have like, I think one medium laser and then a ton of machine guns. Uh, but the thing that I didn't realize, or I knew it, but I just hadn't internalized how extremely dangerous it would be, <laughs> uh, is that machine guns, machine guns do are brutal, extra damage yep. to exposed parts of your mech. It's and so, so good. if you've been nibbled at a little bit and there's like the armors peeled away and now it's like bare hole showing. Those little mechs with those, you know, rinky-dink little machine guns, if a bunch of them show up, they will wipe out component after component in short order. Yep. And I watched, like, a really good mech basically get, like, army ant army anted to death yep. uh, during during an attack. It was just or, – or stripped, like, by locusts. Uh, it was, it was right, really of horrific. Course. Thank but, you for using the actual correct insect. We call them locusts for a reason. So Yeah, but it was, it was really cool. I was like, oh, shit, I actually need to treat these things with way more respect uh, because they're hard to hit. And if they get in on you and that armor's exposed, um, you're dead. You're done. You're done. They eat you all the way up in a way that's like it's. It's. I think like even just look at something like the support class weapons. So uh, it speaks to how. Sorry, I should finish that thought. Even just looking at how diverse the the main support class weapons are, it can can speak to how clever some of the tactical design decisions that the team at Hairbrain made here. Um. Uh. So here's an example. Um, the support class weapons, so in, in old, and also I think speaks to how they updated the game, right? So in, in other editions of Battletech and, and across the Mech Warrior franchises, the, the kind of like first person cockpit driven mech piloting sims, um, uh, the things like machine guns, small lasers, and flamers all fall into, like flamethrowers fall into, um, other traditional categories. In, in battle, in Battletech and in MechWarrior, there are energy weapons that cost a lot of heat, but kind of do solid damage. Um, there are, are auto cannons, uh, which have can, uh, kind of a range of, of, of combat ability, but all require ammo. Um, and, and also, uh, in, in Battletech, uh, there is, uh, recoil, basically. It's harder to shoot them round after round because you're shooting them over and over and there's kind of the blowback. Um, and then there is, uh, there are missiles, right? And missiles, one, cost a lot of ammo. Uh, you have to have ammo with them. 
um, two, they have a benefit, which is that instead of rolling to hit in a single shot, they you roll a bunch, and so there's a chance that you know with a laser you might just miss, um, but in a in a in a with a row of missiles, you know maybe you miss only seventy percent of the missiles you shot, so you're still going to do a little bit of damage. They're consistent damage, but they're also not when they do hit, they're not going to be as powerful as a single massive energy cannon or something, right? And those those support weapons used to go all into that those classes, right? And that meant that you could only fit a certain amount on there, right? If if I have if I can put four lasers on my on my mech and my weight is distributed X Y you know the way it is, I'm going to try to put four medium lasers on there, right? Um, I don't want to dev- devote a slot to the small laser, like yeah, it's it's less weight, but like whatever. Now with the way support weapons work as their separate category with their own special hard points. I can I can say like well let me see if I can figure out how to sneak a machine gun on here and then even just among machine gun flamethrower and uh, small laser there's such differentiation in what their use cases are the flamethrowers are all about like heating a mech up so that it's forced to so that it has less to do on its turn it can't use its jump jets safely it can't you know you do a huge massive attack with all of its lasers without risking overheating itself or shutting itself down and then like you said the machine guns tear apart. Uh, a mech that's armor has already been stripped away. And though that is such an interesting choice to make. Um, and I'm finally getting comfortable enough with the mech bay to start making those choices and start sneaking in a machine gun here or there or rebuilding a, a mech that's supposed to be kind of a mid-range thing to be a kind of a close-up brawler and making sure that that thing has a machine gun on it. Um, uh, it's it's such a it's a design that's given me a lot more to tinker with than something like XCOM does. Yeah, I um it's it's funny to me how much this evokes the dynamics and trade-offs of the old board game, mm. uh, but is still forcing me to reconsider how I'm employing some of these these weapons and and tools. Particularly when you start factoring in like how are they going to relate to your pilot abilities, right? Because uh, those can drastically change like the meaning of range. Uh, so weapons have like sweet spots. They have like optimal ranges. They have long ranges. Uh, some weapons like uh, long range missiles uh, do not like firing at close range, but there are abilities that can make them effective uh, within within close range. And so I'm I'm also coming up on a on, on 20 hours. I, I just managed to accidentally delete my campaign uh, by upgrading <laughs> by upgrading uh, to the release build uh, from from the review beta. Mm-hmm. Uh, so gonna be gonna be doing it all again. Going back, well, think this time you can just do better. This time maybe Decker won't die. Oh uh, yeah, I, like he died the most meaningless, stupid death, uh, which we'll get to. Like I, God, I love. <laughs> I was gonna uh-huh. say I love when mech warriors die, and that <laughs> sounds weird. But I think if we unpack the context, it'll make sense. But I'm I'm just continually re- revising and revamping my tactics based on uh, what I'm learning about how these weapons and systems interact. Right, totally. I, we, we should talk about Decker because I I sent you a message last Saturday at ten ten p.m. and I said, "How bad should I feel for firing someone when they're on the mend?" This fucking guy Decker, he's he was our he was out for 112 days, like from the first mission until I finally did this later one at a prison, and he got fucked up bad in both. And it might just be time to cut my losses. I kept him on that whole first recovery period because the thing you have to understand is, as a, as a mercenary corporation, as a mercenary company rather, you have to pay people. They're they're not like loyal soldiers to the cause. Like you're paying out of pocket. You have a you have a bank and you're paying out of pocket a, a, a monthly salary. And so I kept him on for 112 days for like you know four three and a half months. 
paying him to do nothing but heal because I felt bad. And then I did it a second time. And then I was like, oh, should I do it a second time? And and I said, I can't get rid of him. Darius, who is one of your one of your major characters on the ship, your your kind of XO. Uh, Darius just told me a story about Decker blacking out and nearly dying, if not for Mastiff, who is your your character's mentor. And I was like, I got to keep him around. And then you know. Uh, uh, three missions later, like Decker finally, finally got healed up and came back out on the field the second time, and then just got fucking wiped and straight oh, up killed, straight up killed, dead, yeah. dead. Um, it was not a, it was not a clean kill. It was not a. Uh, he didn't, he didn't sacrifice himself for anything great. It was just, you know, a missile here, you know, a missile in the cockpit, and that's all it took. My Decker um, died a horrible, horrible death that like made me angry. Yeah, because um, it it felt like murder, not war, mm. <laughs> uh, is I guess how how I describe it. Um, it did not feel like combat. It felt like somebody was completely vulnerable and exposed, right? And just got like slaughtered uh, by. But by you a do pirate. that all the time to pirates. You do it all the time in this game. You knock out their legs, and then you're the one standing over them, Rob, doing the call shot to the cockpit or to the center torso. I mean, yes, uh, but this was, but yeah, it was, it was this uh, early mission where you're taking out this pirate queen, right? And uh, Decker was in this really like, I think he was in a spider, a uh, really fast, yeah. jumpy uh, yep. mech. And basically, what he was doing was he was up on a um, sort of a rock chimney. Um, he, he, you can spot for other units basically, so he's yes. there providing line of sight. For my other mechs, which all have like long range missiles, and they can do indirect fire. Um, and they're starting to wade into range, so the fight is like properly joined. He doesn't need to be spotting quite as much. Uh, but while he's up there, um, he just gets knocked down by just sort of a, a freak shot, uh, just something takes out a leg. So he's knocked down. But by this point, my units are in the pirates' faces, and like at right. that point, you got mechs punching each other, and like short range weapon systems start are starting to come online, which usually do a lot of damage. Um, and so Decker's out of this fight, basically. Mm-hmm. He's he's even out of the way. Like he's he is on the very edges of the fight. Um and the pirate queen, who has like the biggest mech in this mission, it's like your first. The- re- it's also the first time you're facing a heavy fucking mech, like not yeah. just a beefy, like medium sized mech, but one that is in the class heavy. Um, and she stomps onto that field. It's a big deal when she arrives. Yeah, and she could. Yeah, so she's already like outclassing every mech in this fight and all this stuff, and she just leaves the the main fight. No. Uh, and like goes out of her way and like pretty much dooms the rest of her lance. Like right. because she moves away and stops engaging my like medium mechs, like I'm about to clean up on that next right. turn. So right. it just felt like this incredibly spiteful moment where she just sort of stomps over and aims up at his like completely stricken mech uh, mm-hmm. before he can get back on his feet and kills him. Yeah. Uh, like, I think one of the shots might have even hit the cockpit directly, uh, or you just killed in the explosion. But yeah, he was alive. He was healthy in the cockpit. Um, and while he's trying to regain his feet, this pirate basically goes out of her way to like snuff one of my mech warriors. Right. And right. I was enraged. And I didn't hear the story about Decker until after that. So I didn't realize that he that was he'd like, already been. Right, so when Darius told me the story, yeah. So when Darius told me the story, 
it's a story about the growing butcher's bill of this entire campaign, right? right. Like it's this right. like, oh, this is how it's going to end for all of us is we become right. a, like, and that's kind of the cool thing because you realize mortality is going to be a close companion of just about everyone in the story. Mm-hmm. And you realize that like, in the end, most of these people that you're in charge of, there's probably going to be a moment where it comes down to the wire and somebody's not going to make it. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, Decker had an entire story that existed before you joined the company, and it came to an end. Uh, yep. And that's the way it's going to be for a lot of people in this mercenary life. It's funny. So the, your review of this game hits this notion of, like, how this game does violence um, is a really impactful or is a, is a really memorable thing is is different than the way violence is done in a lot of games in the sense that it occurs on a long scale and that in that it's about attrition it's about weathering violence you know the uh, a game like uh, XCOM obviously there are losses you can lose a character you know um, in combat there's a health bar and the health bar can reduce and then you can get injured and you'll be laid up in the in the med bay in a similar way to how Decker was for me but here there there's, there's almost a much more analog sense of what loss can look like because let's say Decker lives through that. Let's say that that like she stomps over to him and rips off his his arms and or his arms with the mech's arms and one of the torso you know units and one of the legs and Decker walks away but is injured and is uh, is, is is again like you know um, uh, put up in bed for for a hundred days. Um, you are out of mech warrior for those days, not making money for you. And if you want to get that spider back on its feet, that that mech, you're going to have to spend a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand C bills, which is the, the in-game currency, to uh, to repair it. And 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 also uh, components, you're going to have to put jump jets back on it. You're going to have to put on some lasers or whatever. Um, and all that's coming out of a limited <laughs> supply. And so there's a feeling of loss. And then you have to spend the time repairing it, which means you're not going to spend that time putting that brand new cool gun on the, that you got onto a better mech that that is is just needs to be refitted. Um, you're, it's all about time, and you can't go back into a, a, a battle with that mech. Um, there's all of these little points of which er, at which small pain can grow into medium-sized pain, into large pain. Um, and that, to me, ends up speaking back to this this thing that we talked about during Gun Week, which uh, showed up in my piece, in Cameron's piece, um, and in the, the piece from the folks at Bullet Points, which is like, hey, video games are going to continue being violent. Like, this is, lots of stories are violent. We should not be avoiding violence entirely. Like, we, I, I would love to have more games that are not violent, obviously. But what we should be pushing for is a, is a more meaningful sort of violence. And for me... Battletech is is getting there because I have so many stories and so many bad feelings about how violence shakes out. It it is never clean. It's so dirty. It feels bad, but also necessary because fuck these fascists. Um, and I'm curious, like, if you had any more thoughts on that. Yeah, I think. So I think a lot of. Um tactics games which i want to draw a line between tactics games and war games uh a lot of tactics games which tend to be a little more accessible um a little more divorced from like real world context i think actually in some ways really end up reflecting a lot of uh western views on war in the modern era in some ways Mm -hmm. they reflect a lot of they they reflect this fantasy of a couple things of war being 
mastered by prowess and mm-hmm. ingenuity mm-hmm. that like that you can in fact build the best military mousetrap possible <laughs> and keep your hands clean and and right. win fights where like where in the past you would have had to do it you would have had to win ugly uh, right. now you can win cleanly and the other part of that but the other part of that is, is this idea that in fact maybe war shouldn't Ha- mean maybe war shouldn't have any cost to you at all right maybe battle right. shouldn't have any cost like if you're smart enough if you're clever enough if you're well equipped enough you can do everything surgically and nobody this is true really for any risk. anybody who has watched our incredible XCOM 2 let's play knows we basically never make any mistakes um, and Wink everyone clean. is safe all the time um, yep. uh, but, but, but to, the, to that point, like that is the goal, right? The goal of any good XCOM mission, uh, or fire emblem mission, or, you know, there, there are lots of tactics, tactics games that fell, fall into this, into this mode, which is like, you move such that the enemy is at maximum vulnerability when you're able to pull the trigger or swing your sword. Um, and then on their turn, you're in a safe position so that you don't get hit at all or so very minimally. You get bruised maybe, but you, you, a good run looks like, like perfection. Like the last mission we did in XCOM where like, we basically clean house and took right. the uh-huh. enemy down step by step. Like right. it was the the cleanest mission I think we've ever had. Exactly. And you're like, that's how it's supposed to be. Right. Exactly. And like, if not for misclicking or for, you know, uh, for the fact that we rushed to make some decisions sometimes, this is what every mission should be. Battletech rejects that like whole cloth. And, and for you that you're saying basically it also therefore rejects that specific fantasy of war. Yeah, that war is going to be about attrition. And a lot of times I think when we think about attrition, uh, and it does sort of have a bad name in like Western military studies in a a lot of ways, uh, because like, you know, what is the most attrition focused war that we can probably name? World War One, probably like literally like every major industrial nation in Europe is just like, what if we just feed men and material into the meat grinder until one of us is dead? That's it. Um, And there's no way around that. And so there's always this attitude that like, okay, well, anybody who fights a war like that is is a screw up. That's that's not how you do it. Obviously, there's got to be a way to do this cleanly. Um, And I think that leads to this, you know, kind of some really unhealthy illusions about how cleanly you can even fight a war. Right. Um, What kind of violence counts and what kind doesn't. Uh Um, Like there's there's a lot of like where you distribute the harm of war. Uh, that's sort of built into these assumptions about like keeping it clean, keeping it surgical. Uh, but where, where I, what I dig about what Battletech is doing is that you just have to accept the fact that every single action on the battlefield is going to cause people to get hit and take damage. There's not going to be any avoiding that. Uh, what you're going to have to do is become kind of a master of accepting attrition and anticipating it <laughs> yeah, and understanding like, again, on sort of a gut level, um, what you're going to have to do to cut a mech's tendons basically. Right? right. Like, I mean, you like, this is how you are thinking about combat in this game is I am going to send this person out there and right. they are about to become probably disabled in turn because they're just going to get the shit knocked out of them. Right. But along the way, they're going to rip off someone's leg 
and then they're going to be vulnerable and someone's else someone else is going to come along and stomp on that mech's head that's how right. i'm going to win it's so funny. It's like uh, you think about something like XCOM 2 War of the Chosen, which is a fantastic game, and you know that adds something like a headshot in for the lost, the kind of zombie units there, which is like, just shoot them in the head once, and they're dead, and then you can then you get another shot, and you can clear house, and you get this power fantasy of just like, I'm perfect. Five zombies showed up in a single turn, I got them all. And here, it's like, your best win is to trade a pinky for a hand, you know? Like, yep. there's a trade every time there's a trade even on my cleanest missions i have to repair armor you know even on my cleanest missions i've spent money on ammo right like there's not a there's no zero cost play um and that's important for the fiction but i think it also challenges something that i that i wrote which i'm thrilled that it challenges um because i wanted it to like Earlier this year, Into the Breach comes out, and Into the Breach is about as clean a no-loss tactics game as possible. I mean, that's a game with losses in it, but the dream of that game is you have the perfect run. You get through island after island, mission after mission. Great job, Ender. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, You know, at the time, what I wrote was – uh, and what a ballet. War machines slide information across devastated wastelands, metallic angels light as air, glowing with energy clash against one another in the sky. Gigantic figures charge down en- uh, city streets expressionless, yet glowering at a monstrous foe. Yet most mech games, from the Battletech board game to Heavy Gear to the Armored Core series, care more about the fantasy of the engineer than the fictional pilot. You spend hours comparing damage values, gear weight, heat sink qualities. You test your builds. You paint and repaint and decal your machines. You spend as much time in front of spreadsheets as you do in the cockpit, and the latter is sometimes even more fun than the former. Um, and, and I kind of go on in that review to say what Into the Breach does is instead it focuses entirely on the choreography of mech combat and telling stories through motion and through momentum and through positioning uh, and through the way that those things interact together. And I stand by all that. This is not me saying, like, that review is wrong. What I wanted and what I was dreaming of when I wrote that was that I would be – that Battletech would come out and and offer an alternative vision that is the former. It does care about, uh, you know, comparing damage values, gear weight, and heat sink qualities, but also does what I think a lot of those other games fail to do, which is still care about the choreography, still and show how the you can find beauty and glory in the messiness instead of just the precision, right? And so Into the Breach is all about precision. It's all about, okay, here are the four steps I'm going to take this turn, or three steps I'm going to take this turn that are going to give me the perfect round, and it's thrilling to have that come together. And often you do, there's messiness in that game because you've mis, you've miscalculated or you've, you've taken a, you've, uh, forgot the way one skill works or the way a weapon interacts with something else. Um, but in Battletech, it goes so far in the other direction, which is it fills the the entire battlefield with so many variables that it's actually impossible sometimes to predict how a round will go. And yet, the way those things come together, it, it does harmonize. It finds a way to tell a story in a way that I, I honestly don't think games like Mech Commander ever did for me. Um, Last night I was playing and I was having I, – I hit a place called Smithian, God. which is a, a – Smithian's a fucking hellhole, man. Smithian is going to be the daughter trade whatever from Final Fantasy Tactics of Battletech, I think, which is like uh, – I don't know if you played Final Fantasy Tactics back in the day, Rob. I don't yeah. know if you were – okay. So there so was a – do- 
All right, so so this is my this is what was the, what's the Warcraft three mission again? Oh, uh, uh, scouring of Stratholme, scourging of Stratholme, uh, scourging yeah. of, of Stratholme. Um, the the Dorder City, Dorder Trade City, uh, is is the first mission in Final Fantasy Tactics where you're like, oh, I can't just swing a sword at someone. Um, it is a fight at a there's kind of like a, a bunch of hills um, that have archers and mages and stuff. Um, they have the high ground. They have uh, just like uh, they outnumber your your crew by a bunch, and it's they're kind of like ambushing you in a little valley basically. Um, and it's a tall hill that they're on, and they have just like there's so much room for you to have to climb up to go up there with your mostly melee units to to do damage. Um, and it is like the wall for Final Fantasy Tactics. If if you get past, um, you know, it's also like, it's like uh, you've played Valkyria Chronicles. Yeah. You know the mission with the big tank, the big, big tank? God, we're in I. the desert. Yeah. yeah. So that's that mission. It's like, the rest of this game is like kind of fine, but it, but this is a brick wall and I have to get my shit straight to get through this at all. Um, and, and I think Smithian may become that for Battletech. Uh, Smithian is a mission, I'd say 20 hours in by my Yep. by my account um and i'm 26 hours in which goes to show you that like one i was taking it a little bit slower uh but two i spent like three hours on that mission trying it over and over again uh, until i was just like you know what i'm gonna have to say this is good enough like i i'm not gonna get the clean win it made me accept that uh you're up against eight mechs um eight seven mechs eight mechs uh four of which are tiny which can swarm you um, and the, there are lots of sub objectives, like, uh, killing these, these, uh, kind of mobile command units, mobile trucks, basically, that are trying to escape the scene. Um, and also not destroying these ammo containers. There's like these, these munitions, uh, crates that are spread all around. And if you blow them up, they do this nice AOE damage and can do like, can crush a mech in a single hit. But your goal is to not hit them. Um, and so it's, it adds this little bit of, of additional difficulty because you're like, I have two, I have, you know, I have one mech in the blast radius of that thing, but is that really worth destroying this ammo crate for? And I played through that mission a few times. Uh, I, I restarted it before it was over each time until the last time when it was down to my four mechs up against three of theirs. I did destroy two of the eight ammo crates and, you know, six of the eight enemy, uh, enemy mechs. Uh, or five of the, the eight enemy mechs. They took out one of mine. They just like knocked, knocked her out. This, this character named Root, who I'm kind of developing to be a kind of defensive, melee, uh, defensive melee specialist, kind of just did like. Did you name Root or did? No, Root was, Root was a, was a, uh, uh, uh mercenary. I really hoping I was up. a person of interest. Uh, shout no, out. sadly, sadly not. <laughs> um, just a merc I picked up on the, on the road. Um, uh, and she gets knocked down, which is bad because she has sensor lock. She has a, or maybe she doesn't have sensor lock. She has, she has the two like, um, dodgy ability. She has bulwark for when she stands still, and she has the one that lets her get an extra evasive pip when she runs. So she's like harder to hit when she's running fast, basically. Um, but they knock her out anyway. Uh, so now it's down to three to three, and we, we kill one of the two light mechs. And so what's left is, is this one big one that has been torn to shreds, and then, uh, uh a, a kind of a mid-sized one that has been harassing me and that I haven't quite been able to get the damage I need on it. Um, and we end up dragging it out to, uh, they, they knock out my main character, or they, they put my main character down to two, down to one last wound. Uh, because in this game, you, your character gets hurt when there's an explosion near the cockpit or when your mech gets, falls over. Um, and at the risk of having my character laid out for 112 or more days, I was like, I gotta get the fuck out of here. Eject. Um, and it was down to two to two. 
and uh, with a kind of a last ditch effort, I I destroy one of their two um, by by sneaking around the back and hitting it in the in the rear where the armor is weakest with this giant this this mech uh, called a hunchback. Uh, my my character Behemoth, who was one of great mech, great mech. Just it's just like a it's like a like a I don't know how to how to describe it. It's I mean the thing that I'm trying to think of is like what type of fighter it is. It's like someone who's like you know five foot eight but all muscle. Oh yeah, you know. No, uh, like short armed brawler, like to- exactly. totally, like just punches like a cannon, no reach, no, it's no reach. Uh, and I had a a like seven or eight um, um, medium sized lasers, including like a really powerful one, including a, a special one that I found along the way. Um, and I just tore through this thing from from the back, and then was was the, that one remaining heavy, which I think was a dragon, either a dragon or a griff, maybe it was a griffin actually, um, stomped over and was going to and like hit me hard but didn't knock me over and i was like hell yes fuck you uh and i jumped behind it with the hunchback and pulled the trigger again and then i followed up with my other character my my other mech had uh it was a centurion which is this kind of like mid-sized mech that's that's a stock is kind of meant to be like long range but kind of close in and it's kind of all rounding. it's, it's, it's yeah. a guard but I realized that it had like six mech or six missile bays on it or four missile bays on it. So I turned it into this like incredible missile boat. Um, but it was out Whoa. of missiles. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Uh, it runs out of ammo because there's not enough room for ammo in it, but like for, but it only ran out of ammo in like the second to last turn, right? So I had like LRM, I, I had, excuse me, Lerm 20s on it, <laughs> uh, just like blasting from forever away, but it ran out of missiles. So it's trying to run up and like do melee attacks, but this fucking giant mech will not die. Uh, and finally we knock it down. And I'm like, hell yes, finally. Like we, wait, we go all in on it. We knock it down. I'm like next turn, uh, you know, it's, it's gonna have to, it's, it's, uh, it's gonna all work out and i hadn't realized that it was going to stand up before my hunchback i mean you know what it was i knocked it down my hunchback had to go again and didn't get the kill shot and i'm like that's okay we have this thing where we want it it has like nothing left it stands up and in a single hit just like completely collapses behemoth's cockpit just like oh. single punch which is a rare thing which is a one in a hundred hit do you know what i mean yep. like you don't get to you don't get to pick where you're aiming your punches in this game. You just swing them. You're a big metal robot. You're just swinging your arms. And just one hit right through the cockpit killed Behemoth, who had been one of my best pilots for uh, 15 hours. And, you know, maybe it didn't have to do that. It could have wounded her for 100 days or 50 days or whatever. And instead, it killed her in a single hit. And my my other mech, my Centurion, with, with no missiles left, just did a death from above, which is the, the you do a jump yep. jet and then land on its head. And I like, got the kill, but literally was the only thing standing at the end of that fight. The only thing. Like, eight, eight mechs entered, literally one left, and my hands are just covered in blood. Smithian, like, took... Smithian was the day... And then you get out of that, and in the narrative, the, one of the people you've, you've kind of helped there is the biggest D-bag in the world of about it and it's like you motherfucker i just lost behemoth like are you kidding me uh and that that's a great feeling like i didn't expect this game to be able to tell that story and the reason it could tell that story was that the the punch had to be low risk there or, or low chance the punch that kills behemoth has to has to come from fiddly systems and bad luck it has to feel like i caught a bad one it can't feel like i made a a, a clear and easy to guess or easy to easy to understand tactical mismanagement for it to feel like tragedy in that moment i needed it to feel like 
the roll of the fucking dice. I didn't get the kill when it was on the ground and while it was vulnerable, and then it stood up, and I don't know what the pilot had for breakfast that morning, but that motherfucker was determined to hurt me, and that's a cool feeling that comes from the the breadth of content in in terms of variables and numbers and random dice rolls and critical chances and all that stuff that still was able to tell a very a very structured cinematic moment uh to me even though it it, it was not as clean as something like into the breach and that I'm like so thrilled by that also yeah, fuck smithian this is the most like you're going to have to carry that weight tactics game i've played maybe since like original like 1993 xcom right like um when you get out of these missions even if you lost really valuable mechs really valuable pilots some of them you're like oh thank god right like you're still you're still kind of messed up by the fact that you lost so many so many resources so many people to win this mission but at least you're through it at least you 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 got past it and you know all things considered Maybe you were even a little bit lucky, um, right. which is which is wild because like again, if you if you compare that to like an XCOM model, a bad mission is like well you get like one of those and then you know if you, if you have another bad mission you're pretty much in a death spiral uh, and right. it's gonna be tough to tough to pull it out. Here it mostly feels like you're a big part of the game is you've just got to carry on and go patch up and take the next job and rebuild as best you can. Right. Um, where it can get really nasty is you can still end up kind of trapped by your repair costs have been so bad. Um, so many mechs are offline for an extended period. So many pilots are offline for an extended period that you end up taking lesser missions and then mm -hmm. trying to like pull them off with lesser squads. And so then those become weird bloodbaths, and it totally feels like, um, well, I mean, like we both freelanced, you know, you know what I mean? Yep. Like that, that weird, yep. like, yep. oh shit, I just need to keep hustling as fast I as I can. Keep hustling. I just need to keep taking yeah. on new, new contracts. And you're taking on like sometimes worse rates, like shorter turnaround. You're just like really scrabbling just to stay ahead of this thing. Uh, and, and Mech Warrior sometimes feels like that, uh, which is a, a really cool thing. Like this isn't one of those games that has sort of a mercenary wrapper where it's really just kind of a different form of like, power fantasy Progression. Like, yeah right, right, right. yeah it's more more wealth more power etc you can have real setbacks and real costs here that become a real problem like you like you have to make payroll every month uh <laughs> and sometimes it. you're watching that roll up on you and you're like okay fuck it i guess we're taking on a heavy lance this month because uh we need <laughs> we need to eat tomorrow mm -hmm. so today we're dropping uh, and you make got. those decisions, you make those decisions yeah, with whatever we got, even if it's not the best. Um, you know, there's a, there's a version of this game that doesn't make you make that choice, right? That lets you float constantly with good morale and with good equipment and it never makes you – you always have that extra medium laser you, you need to, feel, to fit the same stock build that you've been running for the last 12 hours. That's not this game. This game eventually so you you like you said you were surprised when I said the Centurion became a missile boat for me. Yeah. Yeah, because motherfucker, that's all I had. <laughs> like I didn't have what the Centurion normally has, which I think was like a PPC or no. uh, like a, some. Oh, well, you might have had a special something. build. It has like an AC ten and some medium. It's AC ten. So I didn't have the AC ten anymore. I was out of AC tens, and I wasn't going to go buy an AC ten. Like I didn't, I didn't have the money at the time to spend that. So I was like, all right, well, what could I do with what is on this frame? 
Um, and it ended up being about as good of a missile boat, if not better than my trebuchet, because I think I even was able to fit some jump jets on the thing so that it could get up some height if I needed it to. Uh, and that, that sort of like necessity is the mother of invention feeling only comes because it's honest and true when it comes to pushing you there as the mercenary bookkeeper who like is, is necessary. Like you need to keep these fucking bills paid. Uh, it's great. I love that stuff so much. There's a couple things I, I just want to get to, uh, like sort of relating to your anecdote because I've had some similar stuff happen. But real quick, I, I do want to say it seems to me at least like, um, for instance, like when a mech is taken out via headshot, yeah, the way it goes down is different. Like mm. I had like when a mech gets hit in the head and it's standing, like. Mm-hmm. Those things just drop, like their legs they go out drop. from under them. Yeah. They just fall, and like a lot of times, mechs sort of die in just a series of explosions. The center torso goes, and they sort of become they catch wreckage. Some ammo, and, yeah. and the ammo explodes, and there goes the other torso. Yeah, totally. And when you when a mech just drops because its cockpit got crunched or destroyed, it just falls the fuck over. Right. And the other cool thing that ties into this idea of like, well, wait, that's that means more salvage. Like that mech is intact. So like as soon yeah. as we hose off the cockpit, like all that material is going to be harvested after the bat after the battle. Yeah. Uh and so like you're you sort of like first of all, it just looks really cool. Like just the way everything looks in this game feels really kinetic, uh really really impactful. Uh but also those kinds of kills tie into this like Ah, you know, more grist for the mill, right? Like yeah. I'll take your I'll take your AC ten and put it on back on my Centurion. Or right. I'll take your busted up mech and and make it make it my own. Make it my own, yeah. yeah. Even just I'll make it my own and then flip it on the market yep. for two hundred K. Absolutely. The the so there's a couple things there. You have a few things. I'm going to come back to you in a second. Yeah. I don't want to step all over your shit. But in on this point, the two things I want to make. One, I've never had as much fun as, as when I realized that you can fish for headshots with long-range missiles. Um, the way missiles work is that you roll – you know, if you shoot 20 missiles, if you shoot, if you shoot a laser and it does 50 damage, that roll to hit is one roll or it's two rolls. It's one roll to hit and then another roll to see what body part it hit, right? Yep. But like, hey, is it even 80% chance to hit? Good news. You hit it at 80. But you know, if you miss, you miss with the whole 50 damage. All that damage goes nowhere. That's not the case with missiles where each individual missile rolls to hit. So it's like 80% to hit for five points or three points or whatever again and again and again. And when you have a 2% chance to hit a headshot, 20 missiles ain't bad. Yep. Uh, or 35, like on my Centurion, which was like a uh, it was 40. Yeah. It's just like, okay, I'm going to roll these dice. And it doesn't take much that the cockpits aren't that protected. And when you hit the head, it does damage to the pilot, which is like the thing you're talking about, which is like, hey, if you just knock out the pilot, that whole mech is good for scrap. Um, and there, there was something really fun about just like, all right, line that up, roll the dice. Like each of these mi- missiles is going to go in and get the hit. The other side of that is it is 26 hours in and I am still terrified every time missiles start streaming in from off screen and don't stop. And it's just like, how many are they fucking firing at my Jenner? My Jenner can't stand up to this. Like, and it's like, boom, 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 boom. And it's like, uh, there's a very strong, 
like uh, 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 physical reaction for me when that happens or when the camera cuts and you can see them coming in over the hill at you. Uh, and I, I, that's not how I feel when someone takes a shot at me in a, t- in a tactics game normally. I tense up. I get like a tense moment. It's like a, it's like a single breath I, I hold. Here, because it's about duration, because the yep. missiles keep hitting you, you're, that tension has to hold and you have to hold that tension for 50, you know, 1.5 seconds. And that's a long time compared to pull the trigger, did it hit or didn't it hit? Uh, and that, again, is about the way that Battletech uses scale and time so uniquely. Well, on that little beat before crits start registering. Fuck, uh, dude. So, like, the missiles will start to slow. And then you'll see, like, SRM ammo, SRM ammo. And you're yeah. like, oh, shit. And then, like... This whole thing is going to cascade. Yep. Uh, no, it's it's awesome. Um, the other thing I'm really digging is that... So, Smithian is a, like a uniquely difficult mission. Yeah. But... Actually, mission design throughout a lot of this game is really good. Uh, like, yeah. there's another thing I want from games like this a lot of times is this feeling that I'm in some sort of, um, like, military sand table exercise, like at the war college or something, where, like, mm-hmm. like okay, so for instance, um, like, sort of in the, in the very origins of wargaming as a hobby, uh, I think, which basically you're talking about, um, Kriegspiel, um, like games, games, war games being run out of uh, like the Prussian general staff. One of the things they would do to like uh, train junior officers is they would intentionally give them like no win scenarios, which is kind of where the the Kobayashi Maru idea comes from. You have to train officers to recognize when you just need a shit can orders mission right, and make the, right. the prudent decision rather than get really tunnel visioned on your objective. And there's a lot of missions in Mech Warrior that demand a similar level of flexibility and creative thinking and pragmatism. And that you don't know when they're going to happen. Like sometimes you'll be taking a contract that's really straightforward and you find yourself just in the fight of your life. Uh, I talk about Uh this really briefly in my review, but um, there was a mission where it was like, defend this installation. And it's this sort of snowbound uh, military base in the middle of nowhere. And your only hint that something is amiss is... um, Darius, before the mission, is like, you know, it doesn't make sense that the client would book us for this mm-hmm. contract. Like, they're saying they don't know, like, what's out there. They're just a little concerned. But, like, why? There's no reason you'd be concerned unless there's a specific threat right. that you're not telling I us know about. What our, I know what our rates are. You don't hire us for, I'm a little concerned. <laughs> right. And so you start out the mission, and you're sort of defending this, like, alpine uh, mountain base. And... You know, okay, you send the scouts forward. Oh, and the entire mm-hmm. thing is kind of this bowl. Like, the map has yep. sort of a grain. It faces out in one direction. And yep. so you're like, okay, so clearly you have to hold the, the mouth of this valley. <laughs> I've done this mission, Rob. <laughs> yep. Keep going. So I send my scouts out, and they fan out, and I make contact with the first ones. Uh-huh. And I'm like, okay, now they're just going to walk up this hill, and we're going to blast the shit out of them. So, When your goal is specifically to protect buildings in, in this place, right? Like your goal is there are six buildings or whatever. Protect those. Yep. Right? Bonus if you mission? Defect, okay. protect all of them. Yep. Buildings 100% have done this mission. are 100% hit. So if somebody gets within range of a building, it's going to get hit. Yeah. Um, and so I go out there, and I'm like – all right, I'm committing everything. Like, I am just going to rush these guys, going to kick their asses. And no sooner have I just started to make contact with them 
then suddenly they start registering new contacts from every other direction. Like, I am basically fighting a distraction force. Yep, 100%. And, like, from the hills behind you. Yep. In, like, you know, when we play XCOM 2 every th- or every Tuesday, or basically every Tuesday, some Tuesdays when our schedule doesn't <laughs> doesn't uh, d- d- actually allows for it, um, the first thing we do whenever we go into a mission is like, all right, where are the borders of this map? I know I'll be safe because it would never spawn something too close to the border. Fuck off, says Battletech. Yep. Um, th- that mission so, so was your experience on like, oh shit, I see where everybody is, got to rush back? Uh, yes, but it was it wasn't even that orderly. Like it was literally because I'd extended so far that parts of their like they approached from every direction. I was even kind of cut off from getting back to the base at this point. Oh, totally. So it's up on a hill, it's hard to get up there. Yeah, and so basically, it just turned into this. Oh, and there, there's a ton of light mechs. There's some medium mechs in the back furthest from you, but mostly what's between you and the base are some vehicles mm-hmm. and our old friend, the locust. Um, right. And so you have to like, just try to race past these guys who can't really do too much damage to you. But if you don't take them down, they're going to just continue demolishing those buildings. Yep. And so I basically had to attack everybody all at once uh, as quickly as I could, which meant, Sending my light mechs on yep. what felt like suicide missions. I was like, look, you're going over here. You're going up over here. I will try to get you support eventually. Eventually, but yeah. For, Once I can stem the tide over here. Yep, yeah. but for for the moment, you are completely on your own. Uh, good luck. And that mission for me brawl. was even... Well, right, right, totally, because you committed to it. So I did the opposite thing, which is I didn't understand what was happening. <laughs> um so that first force comes in i'm playing pretty conservatively i've i've in fact it's the first time i had i I just repaired a trebuchet which is a mech which is a a medium class mech that's built for like hurling uh long-range missiles lerms um and i think probably has like a two two medium lasers on it or something for like just in case someone comes up to you up close um and I was like, that thing didn't have any jump jets, so it was just staying up at the base. And I was like, okay, well, it can pretty much see everything, you know, in the in the vision cone mm-hmm. here. So if anything pops up, it's fine. So that first group comes in, and I'm like, uh, I'll fight them. And then this, I it cuts to a building being shot. I'm like, oh, there must be, there must be a light mech somewhere that I didn't, or a vehicle that I didn't catch that's just launching missiles. I'll um, I'll move someone over and see if I can find it. And what I find is like one locust, and I'm like, oh. Weird. That one must have. It must have snuck around on me. It must have hit my flank. Weird. And then the turn ends, and at the first, at the first like phase of action, my everything gets hit again. And I'm like, what the oh my fuck God. is happening? And so I finally like, I'm, I'm, I'm committed. I'm pot committed to that front fight, and I win that front fight. And the 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 buildings are like whittling down bit by bit until finally someone comes from like directly behind me, and I'm like, oh my god, has there been a second force this whole time? I have no time left. I have to commit my my long range like mech to the front lines. I, this thing is built to to throw missiles, but I have to put it in front of this building literally. Otherwise, I'm fucked. And so I walk it. I turn it, and it. 
turns and like my vision cone adjusts and my and I walk at three steps and the sensor cones adjust and there are three light mechs on the other side of the map that I didn't even know there was another side of the map. I didn't know how big the map was, I guess. And it just completely they this is and it didn't feel cheap. I want to be clear because it sounds like what I'm saying is like and then the game spawned in people that I couldn't see. Like no, I misread the situation. You had I time have, to sniff this out. I had plenty of time to sniff it out and instead I was playing hyper conservatively and I wasn't thinking about the breadth of the field. Um and I ended up saving all those buildings, but it was like the skin of my teeth and all of my mechs were battered to shit and I kept having to use mechs in ways that they were not designed to be used. I had to use my long range mechs at close range. I to take a couple of like hail mary passes with weapons at the very edge of their of their usability um in terms of range uh and it was one of those moments too that was like okay austin you understand enough about the way this game works about optimal range about line of sight about cover about the the pilot abilities that they can come together and force you to be expressive in the way you're playing um and it's like, I love Fire Emblem. I really do love the Fire Emblem games, but those games never make me feel like I devised a cool strategy. They always make me feel like I figured out the solution to the puzzle. And here, at every moment, it felt like, all right, like, how the fuck do I figure this thing out? And and not figure it out like a puzzle, but figure out a set of, of ways to adjust my characters and adjust my mechs just so that I can stem stem a, a flood or that I can that I can, you know perform in such a way an unexpected way that keeps everything from falling apart it's like balancing like jenga towers sometimes on my hands uh and so it tur- it does turn into a sort of dance but not a dance that i've choreographed a dance of like if i don't keep moving just this way it's everything is going to fall apart and crumble um and it's it's you're totally it has pulling totally rabbits worked. out of the hat it's total like 100%. shovel pass or read option yes, like yes. garbage like where <laughs> you were like the play is busted because like when you design these mechs and then you mash them with the mech warrior Chances are you have a scenario in mind. You're like, okay, yep. I'm going to keep someone in medium range and keep moving. So I'm just going to keep like weaving around them at medium range. That's basically going to make sure that all the weapons on this mech are, have their best chances of hitting. Uh, the, the pilot's abilities will suit this scenario just fine. And so, yeah, that's how this is going to go. Uh, and then you get into combat. And as things begin to go in a hell in a handbasket, you basically just have to forcibly repurpose these mechs uh, mm-hmm. for missions that they are completely not built for. Like there are some yep. there are some mech designs, and I generally don't use them that much, which are very jack of all trades. Uh, yeah. But I the tend Shadow to hawk. And, yeah, yeah. I tend to run a little more special, specialized. Yep. Um, and so when you push those mechs outside their comfort zone, boy, you really need to hope. That uh, a lot of times you get a little lucky, right? Like yep. those those close range LRM shots aren't supposed to happen, uh, but by God, we need them to right now. Yeah, yeah, and it's one of those things. So one of my one of my experiences of playing uh, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds last year was coming to understand why assault rifles were a thing in the military. Um, in video games, like the M16 is the most boring gun there is. Uh, it is like so stock standard that as a player, when I'm playing a game like Mafia 3 or like GTA or like, like Call of Duty, I'm never going to just pick the M16 
What? Like, no. I want to have a cool shotgun. I want to have, like, a bolt-action rifle. I want to have, like, a cool... Like, I want that, that Russian knife that shoots the blade out. You know? Like, I want some bullshit. Hmm. Player owns Battlegrounds like, no, dog, you want this gun that just shoots straight and far and accurately and is, is like, you can trust it. Um, uh, like, and eventually, like, even I was like, I want the AK. I'm never going to take the M16. I'm going to take the AK every time. Actually, I started taking the M16. I didn't say anything about it. I was like, oh, yeah, I'll just take the M16 or the M4. Because it's like, okay, it's reliable. And um, ba- Battletech convinces me why someone in the world of Battletech would take the Shadowhawk, would take the, the tweener, the, the, the mech that doesn't specialize. Because there are times when what you do need is when there's a flood and you need to start patching things up or, there, you, you know, your, your ship is sinking and you need a patch. And that patch can be a long-range missile or a PPC, or it can be a close-range punch or, or, or a small laser. And so I get the the reason why you would want to put someone in a mech that is kind of a, a jack-of-all-trades, master of none, because the world sometimes requires that sort of toolkit. Uh, and no past mech warrior or Battletech game has ever made me feel that way, because specialization was the only way for it to make sense. I'd much rather have a small scout who can who can spot for my big, like, missile boat, and then, you know, something that was devoted to energy weapons up close as a brawler, maybe two brawlers, you know, two things that can get up close and do good damage. But here, I get why I want someone who can just kind of do it all just in case. Um, and even that, that, that might not be the primary, the best strategy still. It might still be better to to specialize, but I feel why people in the world of Battletech would be like, nah, fuck that. I want something that can do it all because otherwise this whole boat is going to sink. Otherwise we're going to take a mission and we're not going to, we're going to take a mission and be, you know, spec for long range combat and then get swarmed. And we can't have that. Um, and that's a cool fucking feeling. Um, God, uh, we have some questions. If you're ready yeah, to take those, let's, Rob, let's are, you, are you up for those? Uh, normally, we don't do that on on these, but again, I kind of felt like this was going to this be is our, our big battle. This is this is our Christmas. It's Battle Tech. We got it. We got here. Um, so uh, this one comes in from Sky on Twitter, who says this may be a difficult one for Rob to answer, but will the story make sense or be engaging to someone who hasn't done their Battle Tech lore homework? Jumping in fresh seems overwhelming. I don't think you need the lore homework at all, uh, which, well, <laughs> the moment I say that, I'm like, well, it helps. Uh, mm-hmm. what, what I'll say is this. As far as the story and what you get up to in, in this this new battle tech, no, you don't need to have a background with this franchise. Uh, the tutorial is effective. Uh, it has a decent escalation of difficulty. Um, the story is so peripheral to what the main through lines of this fictional universe are. Uh, that you right. don't need to be too plugged into that stuff. But the thing that does make me a little bit of a liar when I say that is, like, I don't know about you, Austin, but when it comes to mech design and the way I'm engaging with mechs on the battlefield, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of intuition I am employing from my time with reading the books yes. and playing the board game. Like, that's I do not know where I would be with this game if I didn't have, like, all those, like, 15-year-old memories. Uh, yeah, I definitely – a lot of that helps, right? I, I have played all the MechWarrior games. I have I, I have not read the breadth of uh, Battletech fiction you have, but I've read a book here or there in my teens. Uh, and, I, and I used to work at a shop where people played Battletech, right? So I was around it all the time. Um, uh, and there is – 
the lore isn't the thing, right? Um, the lore is something you can pro- probably catch up on in, in, even just with the in-game stuff. It does an alright job of setting up who the major players are, and the game takes place in a part of the universe where the main players don't matter that much, right? It, it is largely concerned the, the, of the politics of a faction the game invents and introduces you to. Um, some nearby minor factions, uh, in the overall Battletech universe, and then like one or two major players who are nearby. And my suspicion is it'll blow up into a bigger thing as the story continues. I'm only, again, I'm only 25 hours in or whatever. Um, but it, you know, you don't need to know about House Steiner and House House Davion. You don't really need to know what's happening there in order to to put things together. Um, uh, but like you said, Rob, even for me who did not read the amount of books you've read and who not who's probably not read the number of you know after action reports that you have, there is something very useful for me to just be able to say in my own head. That I like, oh, this is where a, a ER laser would be, would have saved the day for me. Or this is where a, uh, this is how jump jets work. Like I get what jump jets are and I, and I understand how they work intuitively, even though the specific execution here is maybe not the same. Um, I don't know that it's ever saved me. I'm trying to think. Maybe it has. Maybe there have been times when it's been like, oh, I wouldn't have known what to do if not for this the fact that i know how x weapon works or something um i think i think my it's, it's mostly stuff, stuff that sorry yeah but i'm just saying ahead. like for me the ppc has definitely been an area where yeah. like literally that one like lrms and ppcs the long range weapons specifically were like okay like i knew the exact trade offs those things offered Right. And PPCs are like such a mysterious thing, even for people who I think have played the Mech Warrior games, because it's like, uh, it's a big laser gun, but it shoots like a ball instead. It's like that gun from Unreal, I guess. Um, and it's, it's not quite that. There's a little bit more to it, you know? Um, what was the case of where the PPC kind of came in handy or knowing what its trade-offs were helped you? Yeah, I mean, the, the PPC is like, it's the sniper rifle of Battletech, but its trade-off yeah. is that it is hellaciously hot. Uh, yeah. And so the thing you have to know about a PPC is that, like, you know, that mech is now defined by that weapon. Like, yeah. if your plan is to be routinely discharging the, the PPC, then probably it can't be relying on too much else. And so, like, when I would encounter mechs with those weapons or when I had one myself, I was just instinctively managing heat and managing those battles in lots of ways that, like... If I were just looking at damage numbers, I probably wouldn't have, right? Like mm-hmm. I was I was more just like intuitive I- intuiting that like this enemy mech is not going to be able to sustain this many shots, right? Like in a minute right. they're going to stop. Yeah, that's a good that in general is a really good thing that that I've definitely learned just from being a fan of of the series is like Oh, right. This many, if I put 50 long range missiles onto something, it's going to buckle in some way. I know that and I, I, I don't have to check the numbers to, to know that. I just do know it in my heart. Um, the, the, I mean, the other part of that is also what's a mech look like inside? What's the right amount of weapons and mm-hmm. heat sinks? And you can, you can learn all that stuff by looking at the stock builds which you can click at at any time you can say like oh what is the stock build to a locust and see exactly what it is and that helps but there's also just something like oh i know how many jump jets are the right amount generally speaking i'm not going to put seven jump jets on something unless 
I'm not going to put seven jump jets on something any any time. <laughs> you know, it's just too many. I can do something better with that seventh spot, with that fifth spot, you know? Um, I know what the right amount of, of armor looks like intuitively on the front and the back in a way that maybe sometimes even the game doesn't because there's a button for max armor. I don't know if you've seen this ever where you're just like, oh, fill in whatever I got left with armor. And it prizes – it like it's maybe not exactly equal, but the front and rear armor tends to be pretty much equal. And it's like, that's not, no, no, I'm going to protect my rear and it's going to be fine. And like, no one's going to sneak up on me because that's how I play this game. And I'm not going to put no armor back there, but I'm going to, I'd rather that be up front. And I know that because I've been playing these games for a long time. Um, but yeah, I don't think the lore, lore would ever keep you out. It's a fresh story with fresh characters, fresh location. Um, and it's, and it's, memorable um and it carries in a way that i didn't i love the characters on your crew i love them so much um i'm shocked to see how diverse they are uh except except like maybe i shouldn't be because like i was telling janine hawkins uh about this the other day because i I was playing i was just like suddenly struck by the fact that there are no white people on your ship except for the mech warriors like your whole crew is people of color it's it's you know your engineer is uh is is an arabic woman your uh who who is who's an open muslim who is you know who who wears hijab um there is uh you know a a a black guy who's from like a working class background his backstory is so good his backstory is so fucking good him talking about his dad on the port is just like yes yes this is so good like working a fucking blue collar job is Go listen to our Frostpunk review, uh, in which we basically deliver that same conversation. Um, uh, you're, you have like the noble guy of, of, of Latino, uh, uh, descent who has like this incredible outfit on. Like there's the, you know, the East Asian guy, like the, the, the fact that there is that diversity there was kind of surprising for me because Battletech as a fiction has been historically so, so filled with stereotypes. And this game, the, those characters feel like responses to those stereotypes, uh, largely. Um, and it's also great. I, I, we said this during the stream, but like, I love that there's a pronoun selection at the top of the game that includes they, them, and that, and that it's a pronoun selector. It's not a gender selector. Your, your character creation doesn't get locked up based on, uh, fa- your facial details. The fact that you could have a character with a beard doesn't mean that you can also not have, um, uh, they, them, or, or, uh, she, her pronouns for your character. In fact, some of the randomly generated mech warriors end up having what you would think of as, as kind of normatively masculine traits, but, but having what you would think of as a feminine, uh, voice. And it's like, yo, awesome, cool. I'm glad that you did this. Um, and I know that the lead combat gameplay designer is, is a trans woman. And it's like, I'm so glad that this game that starts as the dream of like some white dudes in the 1980s, um, the, the heart of it was, it was clear that there was something there that appealed to people who were not just like white, like grognardy board game, like war game dudes, um, from the 1980s who are now in their 50s. Uh, it's so nice to see this fictional world actually up, not updated, but like presented from perspectives that were previously only ever pathologized or vilified, um, now being, you know, those characters get to just be your average mercenary grunt, you know? Yeah, and you know the one thing I, I should say is there has occasionally at times been this diversity a little bit baked into the, the universe as well. Like sure. I actually yes. have been reading some of the old stuff uh, lately, and yes, yeah, still has a problem with like national character being destiny and, and stuff like that. But right, one thing I'd forgotten is that um, there's this series of novels about the colossally bad relationship between the Draconis Combine and uh, Wolf's Dragoons. 
Right. Uh, but it all stems from this like tragedy of um, when Wolf's Dragoons go to work for House Curita at the Draconis Combine, uh, they end up being sort of managed and liaised with um, this like intensely uh, competent, uh, honorable, like classic, like classic samurai character, um, Minobu Tetsuhara. Mm-hmm. Um, except he is also clearly a man of African descent. Uh, and so it's like, it's like baked into this universe is this idea that right. these cultures are to a degree like all, like all the intersphere states have adopted the trappings of old cultures to give them <laughs> some kind of right. differentiating ideal. Uh, right. but they are not ethno states in the slightest. Right. Right. Even in a place like the Compelling Confederation, which, you know, in the source books is, is you know, in terms of their cultural uh, uh, kind of um, codification, looks like like all about the Han, the, the Han Chinese background, and literally about – there are parts of it that are like, oh, and also being from Han background is – is a benefit in the culture. But even those folks have like entire colonies of Irish descendants. And I mean, I guess the, the one thing to say here is those races and cultures have somehow managed to continue to exist for a thousand years yeah. for another 1200 years, which I have not yet decided is that more or less realistic uh, than the opposite, than the sort of blending tech, the, the blending version of, of sci-fi where it's like, Oh no, we're all just human. Now I, I think I lean on the side of like, yeah, of course there are people who are going to want to continue the notion of national and, and ethnic heritage. And there will be people who, who there'll be cultures for whom, blending racial uh racial lines does not occur um because of isolation and because of of cultural uh decision and it is still interesting in this world to have the like okay there of course there are black samurai mech commanders of course there are much rather that than the opposite which is like no there are none and they're all japanese and they're all written like the only thing that this person's ever done is red shogun, red shogun and watch yeah. the last samurai like that's you know which yeah. which at the time was maybe the the case a little bit um let's get another question in this one comes in from uh bradley very easy question what's your favorite big mech what's your favorite small mech hmm okay um my favorite Big Mac. I think it in this game, or or are you are you going to limit yourself to this game, or are you going to include like clan mechs? Uh, let's just let's try let's just do these yeah. the mechs here. So okay, favorite light mech. Uh, still probably, still probably the Jenner. I do like the Panther a lot with that PPC. The Panther's a great that look. that yeah, whole uh-huh. yeah. It's got a cool. It's got a cool face. It's got the PPC. Yeah. Like yeah. it's a light mech that can just like stand at the edge and just like land hammer blows. That's really cool. Favorite mm-hmm. uh, large mech. I think it's a heavy, not an assault, but fuck it, it's still my favorite. Um, yeah, that's fair. the uh, the humble grasshopper. Oh, interesting pull. Because uh, the grasshopper is this jump capable heavy mech yep uh that has one of those like classic jack of all trades armaments mm-hmm. and you basically can't overheat it so like all basically like all you have to do is not fire its com- its uh complement of lrms and it's right. going to stay heat neutral 
And so the grasshopper just keeps running around and doing yeah. ship damage again and again and again. But it's a heavy mech, so it's not like you can just bring it down with a couple hard shots like you can with yep. a light mech. No, you still have to bring it down. It's just incredibly nimble and relentless. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I think in the, I'm looking at the, the battle tech list here, uh, because I, it has been, I've not gotten to like the assault class ones yet. Uh, and I only have the only, the only heavy I've gotten so far, I think is the dragon. I don't think Which I've kind even of a gotten fake heavy. Yeah, I don't, I don't count it. Um, uh, I, I say small is probably Jenner also. I really want to, there's something about the commandos look that I really want to like. It looks so fucking goofy. Uh, you look like, like a little boy with a bowl cut. It looks like a little it's boy like with a bowl Lord cut Fondelroy. and like a Dragon Ball Z yeah. star on. Um, it's great. I love it. It's goofy. It's not good. Uh, but I, I love it in my heart of hearts. And, you know, it's it's like such like a nothing. It's like a large, it's a large laser, I think. And then a, an SRM4 or something. And like the large lasers in this game are bad. Hang on, I need they, to copy something. Not, I had a bowl cut when I was little. Like, because okay, parents well. sometimes make questionable decisions. And so, yeah. like, I look at the commando and I'm like, I remember those years. You remember those years. You remember being the little boy with the bowl cut and the and the DBZ scouter and the <laughs> large laser. And that was Rob's acne. It's true. Um, in the heavy or assault class, the, when I go to the big, big boys, um, you know, I... I have had a really good time in MechWarrior Online with the King Crab, but I don't have mm. it yet here, so I'm not quite ready to commit to that. Um, uh, and I think in the large category, I've always had a thing for the Quick Draw because it's that it is the heavy class kind of master of all, um, which maybe for once, or, or you know, Jack of all trades, master of none, um, and, and maybe in this case, it would actually be something that that works for me it's very mobile it's like able to move around and it's able to like um uh fire a lot of of kind of close range stuff at once um but also take a little a few more hits than something like the hunchback uh but i don't know i i'm not deep enough into the campaign to name my heavy and, be, and stand by it ask me again in a week you know um but boy is that king crab fucking ridiculous <laughs> So, uh, it's called a king crab. You should look up the the king crab uh, in in Mech Warrior and BattleTech. It looks like a big old fucking crab. Uh, it has like extra pairs of hands. It's great. I love it. Um, all right. Next question comes in from um mostly harmless have either of you been having any problems with bugs or performance? I've seen a number of reviews and players mentioning problems with optimization and unexpected crashes. Is it that bad or just the usual paradox jankiness? Well, it's um, so this isn't a paradox game. Like they're publishing right. it, but this is basically all done. And I think most, I think it's also largely QA'd through Harebrained. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it was absolutely problem free. Like I had, like obviously their camp, their their auto camera is not nearly as good as say XCOM. No. So like, there's lots of like long takes where action is happening off screen. Yeah, and it can't quite catch up. Yeah, and there's like weird loading hangs in occasional places where it's like why is it taking this long to bring up the splash screen i don't understand but like nothing that ever impacted like quality of life in any meaningful sense like the game pretty much ran perfectly um 
I have had it. It's performance heavy. Like it's it doesn't lie about that. Is the thing right? If you take a look at the store page, it says uh, on Steam, it says requires eight gigs. Recommend sixteen. I don't have sixteen gigs of RAM. I I, I do now. It's waiting for me in a bodega nearby where UPS drops off packages sometimes. Um. Uh. But I have to go get it and, and plug it in so that we you can fucking stream this game. That New York exactly. <laughs> a classic New York. Yeah. Exactly. Oh God. Um. So, so that's the, that's the, it, it, for a game that looks like what it looks like, it maybe takes a few more resources than what you would want it to. Um, and I just tell myself, listen, there's a lot going on under the, under the hood. It's rolling for all those missiles. It's rolling to see if those missiles hit, if they crit, if, uh, the, the thing that they crit or the thing that they hit crits and blows up, you know, there's all sorts of questions up in the air there. So, you know, let them, let them live. Um, uh, Next one comes in from uh, Hassoon, who says, I've never been into the Battletech lore world, but I ge- uh, and I generally dislike pew-pew lasers and blasters, but I love mech games with a lot of actual shells, bullets, kinetic ammunition, say, Front Mission, for example. Can I play this new Battletech game without the lame laser beams? Rob, you want to break it to him? What do you mean? You can totally play this game without the lame laser beams. Mm, can you? I mean, you shouldn't. But let me tell you, like, there's a lot of great auto cannons out there. There are. Uh, there there's are. a lot of great missile launchers out there. The SRMs, like a, a bank of SRMs, great. is yes. one of the most lethal things I've ever seen in the attack of this game. It's it's awesome. You probably uh, still want s- some lasers. Oh, go ahead. You still want some lasers. You're going to want some lasers. And and I, what I will say is, like, even the lasers feel kinetic. Um, they punch, you know. They there is a they are they're more like uh they're more like optic blasts than like heat vision, you know. There's a sense of force with them when they hit. Um, where I mean they tear things off, you know. You hit an arm, you you can blow that arm off with a laser, and so they 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 don't just they don't feel like Star Wars pew pew lasers or like phasers from Star Trek. They feel like very hot laser beams um, that 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 also have a little bit of kinetic energy behind them. Uh, but I would also say that you can definitely specialize specific mechs to be not not have any lasers. I don't know, fuck it, maybe you'll be the first person to do a laser-free run of the game. Your enemies will have lasers, of course, but you can show them what for with your autocannons and your uh, and your your missiles. Um, let me uh, here's here's one here's one. Uh, uh, battle mechs are better than Gundams. Austin, if you want to fight me about it, meet me by the flagpole after school. What I would say is, actually, I th- two things. One, um, the Gundam that I like is already the most mech warrior style Gundam, battle tech style Gundam that there is, right? Like, my favorite Gundam shows are not Gundam Wing or Double Zero, uh, or shows that are like, this one mech can take on 50 enemy, you know, combatants. Um, it is the stuff that is like in the real robot genre, stuff like 08th MS Team, which is as close to Gundam gets to Battletech. Rob, you should watch OHMS team. Uh, you is that the one you Rob, told me you about? Watch that one. It was either that the one really or War in the Pocket. War, uh, no, no, no. I told you about Iron Blooded Orphans, okay. which also I like. Um, uh, we, you should watch. You should watch Gundam War in the Pocket. Uh, 0080 War in the Pocket, which is a short run, uh, straight to video. Gundam series. Those are my favorite ones, and those are the ones that are actually already very much like Battletech in that mechs get beat up and they have to get repaired with whatever's around, and it's about grunts fighting more than about um, super heroic soldiers. And even the original Gundam series, Gundam, uh, you know, Universal Century 0079 Mobile Suit Gundam, is more like Battletech than a lot of Gundam that came later because it was about like it's about a base that's flying around and that's like 
you know, enlisting citizens, uh, civilians who are on board to help defend the, the base as they try to escape and the supplies are limited and you're desperately holding out hope for the, for the supply drop to come in. Uh, and that show is also very much about how wars is fucked and how children get caught up in it and how it appeals to be a hero, to be a, a soldier because you can be a hero, but also how the, the cost of violence is higher than any of our stories can prepare us for. Uh, and I think this Battletech game is also the most Gundam mech warrior and Battletech have been for in a long time. Um, it's also the most, I think it's the most anime it's been. These cutscenes are pretty fucking anime. Uh, but also, are, and, you know, I think that they're going to sell them as, as Game of Thrones. They're not. Listen, they're more anime. Uh, but also, the the sort of like, and this is what I said to John Everest during my conversation with him, um, this is the first time I've ever gotten the Cowboy Bebop feel uh, in a video game of like, yo, we do not have anything to eat. Like, we need to do a job. We need to go do a fucking a boring-ass thing where we're going to go blow up a convoy, and I'm going to be happy to do it because I'm going to have money in the bank. I'm going to make my bills. Uh, and that is a that is a pretty common anime-like uh, uh, trope that I... And it's not just an anime trope, obviously, but it's, it is one I haven't seen in video games actually executed on. Uh, and so that felt really good. Um, and in general, one of the things you pointed out is there's a lot of melee combat in this game compared to Mech Warrior. Yep. Mech Commander, Mech Assault, which are all mostly games about like firing all of your lasers at once. You got to punch shit in this game, and that's a pretty Gundam thing. Um, I'm glad you punch things in this game, also. Uh, one more. Let's do one more, maybe. Let's see here. Um, oh, that's a good one. This isn't the one I'm going to read, but apparently somebody in our in our uh, uh, forums has a Battletech Center in their ho- in their hometown still. I'm so jealous. Uh, they write, uh, Fossa was uh, often pretty cool in letting lots of people play in the setting. Quite a lot of events in the canon are based on, uh, on player uh, after-action reports or fan-submitted stuff. This has a lot to do with why it's wildly uneven, of course, but it's such an expansive setting that it all sorts sort of uh, works in this big, symbolic, messy way that I dearly love. These days, it's hard to understand how big Battletech as a franchise was. For a while, hundreds of books, a Saturday morning cartoon, and a really cool arcade experience that I remember very fond- fondly. And then they update it by saying, oh shit, there's a Battletar- Battletech arcade still in my town. Where? where? Uh, did you... Did you? I know we gotta go. Basically, right? Um, this seems to be. Where is this? I don't know where this is. Hours? Because I know as of, have you been to a bet? No, and I, I I'm kicking myself because for the longest time they were in North Pier in Chicago. Um, and you never I went. never went. I never went. No. Also, I have this um, dread that I'll be too big for the pods. Oh, I have possible. a lot of legs. I played with some big folks. Yeah. I, I played with some big folks. My dad played. My dad is six eight. Yeah. The height will not be a problem. Um, and even with a, your lot of leg, I think you'd be okay. So this is yeah, in Texas, six, unfortunately. Yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, yo, we, I wish we could go back in time and go to Virtual World, yeah. which is where the, the, mech, the, the mech centers that I went to, um, uh, which were I, – I don't even know how to explain it. It's Battletech centers were – the ones that I went to, I went to two. I went to one in, in Santa Monica. And then I went to one in Vegas. The one in Vegas was, like, fine. It was, like, all right. The one I went to in Santa Monica was 
I've said this before on podcasts, but I'm going to say it again. The coolest place I've ever been. (laughs) Um, You open the door and it's all in character. Uh, The people who run the place are in uh, either like scientist outfits with like lab coats and, you know, uh, sweaters with name tags on, or they're in like military, faux military guard. Oh my God. uh, the entire place is set up like the the lounge of like a flight deck um, with like plush leather, leather chairs, uh, models of various mechs, and fake photos of the campaign where like, oh, here's a bunch of people standing in front of a, of a downed mad cat. Um, when I walk, I remember it so clearly. I walk in, the floor is like blue uh, carpet with like speckled yellow golden bits in it and in front of me there are literally bubbling um, uh, like beakers and stuff and like green and purple like random science bullshit and of course like the register where you go to pay and like confirm that you want to go spend a lot of money to go do this thing Uh, and then to my left there was just an open door where like literally it was like I must have been I must have been twelve at the time, but in that room it was like another twelve or thirteen year old playing cards with a guy who's like forty five and a couple twenty year olds uh, in like the pilot lounge oh where there was like a big poker table. Um, and like I didn't go in there; I wasn't a member. I don't fucking belong in there. I'll wait out here. I'm nervous. Um, and then eventually, you know, you, you go up, you pay. I think you could either pay to do it daily or you could pay to do it monthly. Like, you'd be a monthly member, which I think was a lot more money. And then you go and get your mission briefing and so someone again in like a in like a a flight suit would come over and walk you through how to operate the mechs uh, and then would lead you into these pods which are like I'm trying to think of a comparison like it's it's sort of like sitting in like a, a arcade racing game machine or something but taller uh, and then inside it's like a more complicated version of the steel battalion controller and all around you there are buttons all around you there are you know uh, foot pedals for for the turning screen your, around at all the screen did not wrap around. Um, no, the screen did not wrap around. I just remember I actually went to a third place that had this, which is a laser tag place in, in Times Square uh, in New York, again, 10 years ago, 15 years ago now, um, also had these pods. And that's where I probably did the pods the most. And no, the, the screens didn't wrap around, but you did close yourself in, right? Like, that's the difference between, like, OutRun and this is you close the pod door and it's dark in there and all the lights are all around you and the buttons all do something. There's a button for switching, you know, firing groups. There's a button for uh, uh, for you know, priming your jump jets. Um, there's a button for locking on. There's a button for ejecting. Um, and you know, people went and played and like had careers and had to eject. Otherwise, they would lose their scores. You know, over the, the wait, they were persistent. In that. Yes, 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 yes. It was rad, dude. It was like a whole culture of of living. I and I didn't get to do it more than like three times in my life, and I'm so mad about it. Um, we would have, we would have loved Battletech Centers so much, Rob. It's not even, it's so, it sounds like heaven. it's so much to think it about. It sounds like the kid <laughs> playing cards with the grown ass nerds just sounds uh-huh. like the most, like that's a cool scene from a novel about fucking uh-huh. mech warriors and he's the unit mascot. Like shit. Yep. Yep. A hundred percent. It was really great. It was really, really, really cool. Uh, and, and they're pretty much all gone now, unfortunately. If you know where there's one close enough for me and Rob to get to, you have to tell us so that we can go. Um, God, is this, God, I'm looking at, I'm looking at, at some, some cockpits now for this. And there might have been some that had or have since gotten a kind of a wraparound view at least. Um, man. 
all right, I'm going to stop looking at images of this thing that I thought was really... Also, you played that game, and that game was, like, flat-shaded, no textures. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was hideous, obviously. Um, but I loved them so, 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 so much. Um, all right, I think that's probably going to do it for us. Otherwise, we'll be here for another hour. Well, I, I wanted um, to ask you a question here at the end, though. Sure. So what do you want after this? From like, because I, I think we from both hairbrained? no, I th- from from hairbrain's take on BattleTech, right? Like, where right. do you want to see this go? What's what's your what's your wish list item for? They're more gonna do fucking the Clan Wars. We both know they're gonna do the Clan Wars. And for people who don't know what the Clan Wars are, uh, there's a huge setup that we kind of we go into the in the in the live stream of the game. If you've gotten this far into the podcast, go watch our live stream. We get into what the Clan Wars are, but basically. Uh, an, an external force arrives with with mechs that have historically been um, very much out. They very much outclass everything else that the current set of things, uh, current set of factions, has to offer, um, and has never been really fun to deal with because of that in in any of the games. In that, okay, what I'll what I'll defend about that. But setup. what if they? I, yeah, uh-huh. it's a cool setup. I think fictionally, it's a great setup. Yeah, I think fictionally, it's a, it's a great setup. I think it's a cool thing that like in those scenarios, there's a cool built-in asymmetry where like how do you neutralize all these mm-hmm. advantages that clan mechs have? Uh, yeah. The problem is then the universe stabilized around that new order, and then everything became right. clan mechs. Basically, all that shit became the right. default, and then it just became battle tech, but with larger numbers. Yeah, um, and so my hope is maybe they, in, in a in a if they build a game devoted to that, they can figure out how to do it because it doesn't have to become the new norm the new normal, right? Um, but I don't know what else I want to see from them. Uh, you know that 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 game's campaign opens up and it says BattleTech Restoration, and so like the Shadowrun games, I'm sure that they have ideas for follow up games in the in the setting, different campaigns. Um, I, I don't want to not be a mercenary, right? Like, I actually don't want to just be like, I don't want a hyperlinear game. I like the openness. Partly what I want them to do, and maybe not for the next game, but three or four years from now, or maybe it is their next game, I want them to go back to Shadowrun with what they've learned here about tactical combat and about open-ended uh, uh, mission structure. Um, Obviously, uh, a mech combat... Uh, puzzle or, or, or level design is much different than a shadow run um but the shadow run games never even though i really like Dragonfall and hong kong but neither of them really have the sort of dream game that i wanted as a kid liking shadow run which was like just generate me new jobs just make me cool new jobs forever um and i i don't think that battletech is necessarily the solution to that but i i would like to see what they've learned if the, if that can apply backwards to giving you that feeling of scraping by because they never feel that in hong kong or in in dragonfall um but inside of battletech like i i don't know that i i haven't maybe when i give me another 20 or 30 hours and i'll be like oh here are the five things that i want from the next game um co-op would be really yeah. cool <laughs> uh co-op would be super fucking cool um, there's multiplayer, there's, there's competitive multiplayer that we have not checked out yet, but we should at some point. Um, is there anything else you, what about you? What do you, what do you look, what do you want here? Uh, boy, the moment you said co-op, I was like, that sounds awesome. Like what if you were each commanding a lance or half of a, a lance? lance that'd be, yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, yep. I think for me, the next evolution I'd like to see is something where you are maybe directing the campaign more yourself. Like, uh, one of the 
things I I reference in my review, uh, which you heard, was uh, Jagged Alliance 2, which for me is like the definitive tactics insurgency game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to see a mech take on that, right? Where like, okay, actually you are now, you are now the deposed rifle ruler or you are the coming liberator and so you like what what is your plan of campaign like what can you hold what what like not not quite a full total war thing but just more this idea of like what are the coalitions you're building uh Uh what is your base of power where are you going to be weak and is and, and how is this going to influence what i can do like field on the battlefield i think that would be really awesome Right. Totally. I'm with you. Um, all right. I guess, okay, there, there it is for me. Here's the version. Here's a, Here's the other version of it maybe that I would like is let me not play as the mercenary commander. Let me play as the, this is my Romance of the Three Kingdoms thing too. Let me play as like the nobody. Let me, let me like lean into that role-playing side and let me be the nobody who is just like on the lance or is bouncing from mercenary group to mercenary group. Make me even smaller in this fiction, please. Thank you. That's all I want is to be is to not be able to push on international politics at all or to make it so that when I do, it feels like an even more exceptional thing and rare thing. Um, there's a lot in this fictional universe to play with. There's a lot to do in it that, that could be really great. Um, all right. I think that that is going to do it for us. Thank you for listening to us jab on about uh, mechs for the, the last – hour i'm gonna go pick up that ram from that bodega uh and a chopped cheese and and then and that's it that's all i need for the rest of my day uh i'll come back and install that and if we have time we'll mm, it's late i should probably focus on editing these podcasts so i'll do that but then later this week we should play some more xcom and play some battle tech um uh by the time you hear this there will be or or are about to be some other podcasts in the feed again go check those out you can follow me on twitter at austin underscore walker where can people find you rob uh on the periphery (laughs) <laughs> the deep periphery or uh i'd rather not say ah i see i see uh follow rob at rob zachney on twitter follow waypoint twitter.com slash waypoint facebook.com slash waypoint vice youtube.com slash waypoint vice where you can go see our first BattleTech uh uh episode uh i really want to continue that playthrough tire fire is a cool character <laughs> and we're going to keep playing them um and then uh and then you can follow uh everything we do at waypoint.vice.com and as always shout outs to bowen for letting us use the track miss you off the ep pale machine find out more about that waypoint.zone slash b-o-e-n you have any final words rob do you have any any uh battle tech aphorisms to leave us on i'm not getting paid enough to die peace Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.